Good morning. It's been a week. What a week this has been. Uh, if you've participated in 24-7, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so I just want to start by saying, you know, thank you to everybody that participated in 24-7 prayer this week. And here's what I want to do, just out of curiosity and just so you can see, because you go in that room one at a time, right? So just by show of hands, who was in the prayer room this week? Isn't that awesome? Such a huge amount of our church, which is exciting. So thank you for participating. I know there's lots of reasons why people can't make it in there, and that's all right. Uh, there's no like in or out crowd. The ones that were in the prayer room are now the in crowd, and the ones that didn't are not. Um, so, so don't go there. But um, just for those of you who are feeling right now like, oh, maybe I missed out. Uh, maybe I feel like I failed a little bit this week. Let, let me just start by a story, and I'm going to share this story to save someone else's face. So, a uh, couple of weekends ago, Daniel is awesome. If you've not met Daniel, you should know Daniel. Daniel's amazing. Um, so, since we moved into our house, our garage has been the, like, catch-all. So, it's kind of the workshop. There's things everywhere. And the problem is, when you don't have your garage organized, everything is just sitting on one level. So, everything just takes up the whole room. So, Dan I was like, I need to organize my garage. Daniel's like, I'll come help you. I love that. Should I tell them that? Because then you're going to organize the garage of every person in the room, right? Uh, so we buy some shelf and we organize the garage. And the main reason, partly I wanted access to the things that were in there. Partly I just wanted it tidy. But the main reason was Monica wanted to be able to put her car in the garage. So I loved my wife by enlisting Daniel to help me organize the garage. So that was a couple of weeks ago and it went really well. So Tuesday night, Monica comes to me and she says, hey, uh, I'm really tired the car's in the garage, the garbage can is in front of the car, you can't get it out like where it's sitting, can you lift it up over the car, can you take it out, and can you just do the garbage tonight? And I was like, absolutely, I would be delighted to do that, thanks for asking, it didn't quite sound like that, but that's, that was the heart, right? <laughs> That, that was the heart. So she goes upstairs and I go into the garage and I'm looking and we've got like our normal garbage can and then we've got the recycling garbage can and I'm looking at the normal one going, I can lift that over the car but there's absolutely no way I'm getting the recycling out of the garage. So I'm like, I'll just move the car. I'll do it. It's fine, whatever. So I jump in the car, lift the garage door open, and I pull backwards and then I just feel this weird resistance. You know what it's like. And I'm watching both sides because the kids have all their bikes and stuff down the side. I don't want to hit a bike, scratch the car, whatever. So I'm feeling this kind of resistance. And I'm like, what is going on in my garage? And I get out the car and I look behind it. And that resistance would be called my car. <laughs> so in the middle of the night, moving the garbage, I forgot that my car gets parked in the drive and hers is now parked in the garage. So I bashed the back of her car into my car, which is going to cost a little bit to fix. So when you see Monica driving with the big dent in the back of her car, it wasn't her. Just, I want to help her save face. It was all me. Pastors are not perfect, right? We make mistakes, we're just like everyone else. So I am now the pastor that smashed his wife's car up and is gonna spend 2,000 bucks fixing it. So here we go. <laughs> so it's, it's been an amazing week. I, I feel it in the room, I'm hearing it in the comments from people. I had a sermon written a couple of weeks ago um, Daniel was going to preach, and then there was snow, and Daniel preached last week. So I had this, this sermon sitting for a couple of weeks and then the prayer room happened. 
And so all week I've been going, I don't know if I want to preach the message I had. And so we rewrote based on the prayer room. So what I want to do today is I really want to just sit with a question. And, and, and why I want to do that, I'm copying Daniel because he's awesome. But, you know, the, we've been hearing all these comments from people about the prayer room. Are you going to keep it open? Yes, we are. Um, am I going to be able to access, access it after the week's over? Yes, you will. Um, people that, that had profound experiences in there. But when I hear the story of what happened as people encountered the prayer room, it's like an iceberg. We only see the tip of the iceberg and there is a ton more that is happening and has happened and will happen, will happen as a result of what's going on this week. So I want to I wanna take some time this morning just to ask the question, what happened this week? Like as we sat in that prayer room, as we devoted the start of the year to a week of night and day prayer, what happened? Why did we decide to pray 24-7? Is that cultish or is that okay? Why did people wake up in the middle of the night and give up sleeping from 2 till 5 a.m. to come and pray? Did it serve a purpose? Was it worth the time and the energy that we put in? So I want to talk about that. But, but to do that, I'm going to start by reading a scripture. I want to remind us of the end of the story. So this is Revelation chapter 4. If you're at pre-service prayer this morning, we already read this. Um, but the scene is the throne room of God. And this image is an image of what is going on in the spiritual realm right now. So this is not a historic description. This is not some esoteric future description. This is a reality that is happening right now. And it also paints a sort of mystical picture of what is awaiting us at the end of the life that we have on this earth in this present body. So let's, let's read this scripture. So it's going to be the whole of chapter 4 in Revelation says, after this, after the events that had happened, I, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice that I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. Where has he been invited in? Up in through this door in heaven. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them there were 24 elders. They were dressed in white, represent righteousness, had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass that was clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes. Like, this is something from a horror movie, right? Uh, I'm sure it's stunning when you see it, but it's creepy when you read it. They were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, was covered with eyes all around, even under the wings. And day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. 
Whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to him who sit on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and they have their being. Like, wow, right? Right now, this is an image of what's going on right now. Some place, Jesus is enthroned, and these creatures stand in front of him day and night. They are crying out to him. And this is the story that this week that we got to join in with. So what happened this week? First thing that happened this week was more prayer, right? Let me hear a, a woohoo, a holler, a woo. Let me hear something. More prayer happened, right? If that was the only thing that happened this week, it's a great thing, right? Because as a church, we've decided that intentional prayer is one of the values that we're walking into. So we as a church want to have, Jack used these words the other day, when you look at the churches in the city and there's like a, an average of prayer, we want to have an above average commitment to prayer in the city, right? So we're going to lean into this. So if what happened was more prayer, we're meeting the goals that we're setting. Um, we know the scripture, uh, my house will be called a house of prayer. This is what Jesus wants. So we're in our, our prayer time on Tuesday. Uh, I think it was Carlos that was praying. And as, as he was praying, he was just reflecting in his prayer. Isn't it amazing that all week people are making their way to church to pray? Like people all week were just dropping in the building and saying, I want to be in this building and I want to pray. Like people are committed to prayer. This is a house of prayer. We're seeing what it looks like for his house to be a house of prayer. Night and day for a week, you made a pilgrimage from your home or your workplace to come here. You deliberately chose to leave what you were doing, go on a journey to meet with God, to spend time with them and to journey home. And some of you to do that made the decision to fast sleep. Like you gave up sleep in the middle of the night to come when the world round about us is fast asleep. When all our neighbors were in their bed, people were in this room crying out for God to move in their lives. That's what this is about. It was about an increased quantity of prayer. So let me ask the question, how many people in the room prayed more this week than you typically do? So isn't it funny that just setting aside a room for a week, most of our church prayed more than they normally do. So increased quantity of prayer. If we want to be a church that's praying, I want increased quantity. It's awesome. And then with that scripture that I started with, what happened this week? We joined our hearts and our voices with a heavenly chorus that spends day and night crying out to God, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. And did you see in the passage what happened? Those creatures declare that night and day, and when that declaration is made, the elders who represent like the, the ruling party over the world in God's kingdom fall on their faces in worship. So we as a church joined night and day for a week the heavenly declaration that he is holy, and the result is that prayer inspires and calls worship over the earth. And you've probably felt it in your own heart. You probably worshiped a little bit differently today. I'm sure churches around our city are worshiping differently today because of what happened in that room. 
So what happened this week? First of all, more prayer. Second thing, what happened is obedience. We, don't off, we, we tend to talk about invitation and like it's kind of like an option that God gives us to inspire our faith. Um, but continual ongoing prayer is both modeled and commanded in Scripture. So I'm going to put up five declarations in the New Testament that command ongoing, continuous, persistent prayer. So Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow. So she needs some food. She goes, knocks on a neighbor's door. The neighbor's sleeping. He doesn't want to answer, but she just stands and keeps knocking. And eventually the guy's like, this woman won't leave me alone. So he goes, gets some bread, gives it to her and sends her away. And, and, and Jesus is saying, is like, if a human person responds in mercy to someone who's persistent and probably did it with a bad heart, how much more will the God who loves you and delight in you answer when you come persistently knocking and asking them for things to say? So Jesus told them that, that they should pray and, and not give up. Ephesians 6, as they're talking about the armor of God, how do we stay protected in this spiritual war? How do we clothe ourselves against the work of the enemy? It describes all of these pieces of armor that we can stand in and two offensive weapons. One, the, the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and then this pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests all of them all the time Philippians 4 and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be known to God and the peace that transcends understanding will come and guard your heart and your mind Colossians 4 2 devote yourselves to prayer this is the cry of Paul for the church. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will. You sit there going, okay, what's God's will for my life? I'm young and I'm trying to figure out what he wants me to do. I'm old and I've retired and I'm trying to figure out God's will for my life. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is his will for you. So five explicit commands telling us that continuous ongoing intercession is what God wants from his church. And that's not to mention all of the other parts of scripture that have imagery and symbolism. You've got Adam and Eve in the garden living in unbroken fellowship with God. Nothing to stand in the way of their union with him. You've got the, this Leviticus 6. There, there's this description of, of the sacrifice he's been given. They have to put this fire on the altar. What happens? They set up the, the, the tabernacle. Fire falls from heaven and burns up the offering. And then God looks at the, the priests and he says, your job now, never let this fire go out. You're going to keep a fire burning before me continually, night and day. And in, in Leviticus 6, three times, he's saying, keep, don't let this fire go out. And it's this symbolic act. The Spirit of God falls, and then the job of the priest is to steward that presence so that that fire is never extinguished. Um, you, you move further on, and you look at David when he, when he uh, sets up the temple. And what does he do? He gathers worship leaders and musicians and he sets a system. He puts Asaph over it. But he sets up a system where there are thousands of worship leaders whose job is to, to worship night and day in the temple. And so for the entire duration of the temple existing, musicians are worshiping night and day before the presence of God to give him the glory and the honor that he deserves. Why? Because Revelation 
Chapter 4 shows us what it looks like in heaven. The temple is a representation of what heaven looks like. And if the elders are falling on their face in worship, then on earth we'd better get in the temple and fall on our faces in worship. So everything that we've done this week by taking time to be in that room has been an act of obedience to the declaration and the, the invitation and the command of God to come and to fall on our faces before him in worship. What happened this week? Encounter with God. What happened is often beyond words. It's more than prayer. It's more than obedience. It's an experience that we have as we connect with the God of the universe. So let me ask you some questions. How many of you, when you walked in that room, felt a sense of peace? How many of you had an experience where you felt moved by something? How many of you left the room And your immediate thought was to go to the sign-up sheet and sign up for another slot. How many of you left and went to people that you care about and started gushing about what you experienced when you were in that place? You had an encounter with God that changed you. It wasn't the room that did it. It was that we set aside a place and said, go and just spend time with the one who has fought for your soul. Go spend time with the one that chose you before the creation of the world and appointed you to be here in intimacy with him and has called you to be his agent out in the world. What you did, whether you know Jesus or not, whether you're walking with him or not, uh, whether prayer is a regular part or not, when you were in that room, you had an encounter with God. And you know it because things about you changed. You did something different in there. You prayed with them longer than you used to. You prayed with them for the first time. You tried new ways of praying. You left excited. And, and all week, I, I see people coming in and out of the prayer room. I hear them gushing with excitement. We sat on Tuesday at our prayer meeting where we pray for all the prayer requests. And we were just gushing with excitement at what God is doing. We gather every week for the hour before the service. From, we, sort of from 9 till 9.30, we pray. We spend some time sharing what we were praying about. But we've done this every week for the last year. We've gathered together to pray. And this morning, it was like fire in here. Like something changed because we are, and it changes who we are. And that is a promise and an invitation that God has scattered all the way through Scripture. And I could spend all day looking at these, but here's just a couple. James tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So when you set foot in that room and you set your heart with the posture that I'm going to come and I'm going to draw near to him, he did what he promised. As you drew near to him, he drew near to you. And the beautiful thing about it is it didn't start when you walked in the room. It started when you signed up on the sheet and said, I want this. And all week he's been whispering to you. And then when you left what you were doing to get in your car or get on your feet to make your way here, you were drawn near to him. And the closer you got, the closer to you he got. Psalm 34, 8, this is what we're seeing this morning. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And what did we do this week? We did a bunch of tasting. I hope your belly is full. And if you're one of the people that just got a little nibble, I hope you were left hungering for more. Because what we did, we tasted, we saw his goodness as he shows up. 
What does this mean for us, though? Our job as a church is to extend to the world the invitation to encounter God. Like, that's what we're doing. It's not, not come to our church and worship with us. It's not come to our church and, and serve. It's not come and give us more money. It's not come and expand our mission. The invitation that we're giving is, I want you to encounter the God who loves your soul. So then our goal becomes to provide spaces and environments where people can encounter So it's not let's come and sing some songs and here's the songs that I like, so let's sing them. It's how do we engage worship in a way that lets us, as we're here, encounter the presence of God. It's not let's have someone stand up and just read words of scripture. It's how do you teach in a way that helps us encounter God. It's not let's do Sunday school classes so we can fill our head with knowledge. It's let's do Sunday school classes so that as we learn the truth, In the pursuit of truth, we encounter God and he changes us. I don't want this to be a church where we do worship, prayer, Bible study, Sunday school, kids ministry, and outreach. I don't want that to be what we do. I want this to be a place where we take every opportunity we can to steward environments and spaces where each of us and each of the people out there are going to encounter the presence of God so that they can experience what you experienced in that room this week. That's my heart for this church. What happened this week? Growth. Because prayer changes us. Encountering God transforms who we are. Prayer changes us. Obedience changes us. Encountering his presence changes us. And this week, growth happened. So how many of you went in the room and tried a way of praying that you've never done before? Yeah, how many of you through being in the room are like, hang on, prayer is more than I thought it was. That's the experience of growth. How many of you tried something and said, I tried it, I didn't like it, it's not for me, and then went on to something else? There's several of us did it, and it's like, you tried, that's growth. The willingness to step out and try something new, whether it's successful or not, is the marker of growth. How many of you left with a new insight into who God is, or his heart for you, or new revelation about his truth that you got from your time in there? Our job now, and your job now, is to steward the growth that happened this week. So what happened in you? What excitement was stirred? What love changed in you? What things did you shed? And then we get to, you get to steward that. God, how do I continue to lean into this? How do I carry what was in that room out into the world? And then we as a church get to ask the questions. What was God stirring in you? And how do we shape what we do as we gather, as we learn, as we study, as we reach out? How do we set up what we do here to help steward the transformation that was happening in your soul? This scripture is really familiar. John 15, abiding always bears fruit. That's what happened this week. Taste and see that he's good. Prayer changes us. Abiding bears fruit. I am the vine. This is Jesus. I am the vine. You're the branches. You only have life when you're attached to him. If you remain in me or abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. These branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What happened this week was abiding. We took time out of life to just be with them, 
Some people went in there and engaged all the stations. Some people went in there and just sat in silence. Some people walked in and just shut their eyes and sang songs. Some people brought their devotions in and read their Bible and did what they normally do. You abided and it bore fruit. And this is a promise, right? If you abide in me and you let my word abide in you, you can ask whatever you want and it's gonna be done. It's my Father's glory that you'll bear fruit. And so your abiding has borne fruit. And the reality is you don't know the full extent of that fruit yet. You've got a taste of it. You've got a little glimpse of what he's stirring up in you. Um, but we get to spend the rest of the year and the rest of the life of the church watching for the fruit of what we just did in that room this week. So it brings growth. The one, I mean, these are all exciting. This is the one right now that, that tugs my heart the most. What happened this week? I'm going to cry. Unity. Man, I'm a weirdo. I look at that sign-up sheet and I get excited, and it's the thing that I've talked about the most this week. Why am I excited about it? If you go out there, and I'd encourage you to do it as you leave, just go out and stand and look at the names on the sheet. What is on that sheet? We've got some of the people that have been in this church the longest. And we've got people in that church that have only been here a couple of weeks. So the, old, the longest servant and the newest members of our church are on there. We've got some of the believers in our church, and we've got people that were in the room that don't walk with Jesus. They're waiting and asking, God, reveal yourself to me. We had some of the youngest, like families. I took Sky in, Monica took Sky in. Lots of families here took their kids in. And young kids, if you didn't get the chance, when you watch a little kid that's like six years old, I think it was, was it, I'm trying to think if it was Isaiah that I watched coming out. Or I, was it, it was you guys, right? I watched your kids come out. And, uh, and they were just like, like they walked, I was coming out and they were walking in, that's what it was. And he comes walking in that door and he's like, we're going to the prayer room. I'm like a six-year-old excited to get in the prayer room and then I watch them coming out and they're like wired, like they had an encounter in there. The young, uh, some of the youngest, we had some of the oldest members of our church like keeping watch in that room. And then there was our church and then there were people that heard about what we were doing that don't attend our church that were like, we were getting emails and Facebook messages and, and uh, Instagram messages and text messages and phone calls saying, am I allowed to come and use your prayer room? Like, or is it just for your church? And we had people come and be like, oh, I didn't sign up because I didn't think I was allowed. <laughs> like, yes, we'll let you pray. You, you can come pray. Well, we're okay with that. But what a beautiful picture of unity. And then as I started and asked you to put up your hands, look at what it represented in our church. Almost our entire church signed up to be in that room, youngest to oldest, multiple ethnicities, multiple countries that we come from, multiple ages, multiple levels uh, of spirituality, united in the pursuit of Jesus this week. I, I don't know what the history has been here at the church before. I don't know what... Uh, events and experiences you've had that have had that level of unity around hungering and pursuing the heart of God, but it's mind-blowing to watch. A few scriptures that come to mind that, that I've been thinking about this week. Um, in Acts 4.32, they're talking about the birth of the early church, and there's just this little statement that all of the believers were in one heart and mind. You see the same thing at the end of 
Paul's letter to Romans when he's praying. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement, and some people needed a lot of endurance and encouragement at four in the morning, uh, talking about myself, uh, may he give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you would glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So scripture is constantly calling the church to a posture of one heart and one voice. And that's what we experienced. We didn't sit in a room and do it all together. But your participation this week in the spiritual realm, our souls were united. And though you were alone in that room, you joined your heart and your voice to the rest of the church and with the heavenly chorus. And we lived out this scripture in a way that we rarely get to see. Um, Matthew 18, Jack, you stole half my sermon already in your intro. Uh, But that's because the Spirit's talking, right? If two or three of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. How many of you walked into that room and gave your heart in agreement to see the prayers answered that were on the walls? And you see it in the things that were written. If you read the chalk wall and you look at the things that are there, like there is such unity in the cries of our hearts. So two or three of us, Over the course of a week, actually a hundred of us over the course of a week were in that room. Our hearts were in agreement. God, do these things. Release power from heaven. Change our hearts. Move in our families. Move in our city. And according to this scripture, if we agree about anything we ask for, it will be done. So the answer is guaranteed. And you played a role in bringing it to bear. As part of this unity, again, some more questions. Did you sense the connection with other people as you pass the baton? As they walk in to take their slot and you walk out and you feel this just profound connection because you know what they're about to experience. Uh, You signed up to sign up to play a part. In that choice, you were choosing to walk in one heart and mind. Did you feel the burden as you read prayer requests and your heart broke for some of the situations that our church is dealing with. That is the work of unity, bringing our church together. What happened this week? Power. Prayer touches the heart of God, I say this all the time, and pours his power over the world. So you touched that power this week, and you can't see what happened, but the tiniest prayer of the smallest child scribbling on a rock in there with no ability to articulate the words that they're feeling and without even a name on their heart to be able to pray for released power over someone's life that's going to bring them to Jesus. But those answers don't always come the way we expect. They don't always happen in the timing that we expect. But I've seen it and you've seen it this week. How have I seen the power of God at work? I watched morning people get up in the middle of the night to pray. People that hate the night were in there praying in in the middle of the night. I watched people that have been so distant from God decide that they wanted to sign up and go in there and spend an hour in prayer, and they prayed. Um, I think the biggest way that we can visibly see the power of God is the sense of unity that we're walking in. And that affinity that we have as we celebrate the shared experience. Jack read this. How do we see that power? God made a promise to Israel that humble prayer would bring transformation. 
It would release the power of God. If my people who are called by my name, that's us, will humble themselves. How do we humble ourselves? This is dumb. I've prayed my whole life, but I'll sign up anyway. That's humbling ourselves, right? Um, If we humble ourselves and we pray and we seek our face and we turn from our wickedness, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes... I wanted to read this and think about the prayer room. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this prayer room, this house of prayer, this temple, this church, so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. What a promise when you take a place and you set it apart from him. Don't know if you read revival history. Don't know if that's your, that floats your boat. Every significant movement of God in history is preceded by movements of prayer and in particular movements of constant intercession. Night and day prayer has had profound transformational impacts on cities all across the globe. And so we get to taste that and we get to see that he's good, and we get to participate in what it is that he's doing. So finally, what happened this week? We were watchmen. Now, I've read this scripture. I've preached on this scripture. I quote it constantly. Isaiah chapter 62, I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. Get up in the middle of the night, keep watch. Give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. And what happens in this passage is he's taken the familiar imagery. It's kind of military imagery, really, of a watchman. The job of the watchman, they took shifts. We, we still do it in the military today. Uh, you take shifts to stand awake and to watch over the property to see if there's any sign of the enemy at work. So they would stand on the walls of Jerusalem and they would stand for a few hours at a time and their job was just to watch the horizon and make sure there's no enemies coming. And each person was assigned a watch and some people would have to stand during the night in the middle of the night, keep and watch over the city of Jerusalem. And Isaiah takes that imagery of the military watchman watching on the walls to guard from the enemy and he turns it into prayer. He says, I've put these watchmen there. Their job is not to stand, to scan, to see if the enemy's coming. Their job is to be on the offensive, crying out to God night and day for us, for him to move. And that's what you did this week. Night and day, we partnered to be the watchmen on the walls, calling God to move in our city. And I found myself wondering, and other people have been asking questions in a similar way. I found myself wondering what would happen Let me just start with, we're not going to do that starting today. Um, What would happen if we decided as a church we were going to be watchmen on the walls over a city and we were going to devote the energy of our church to pray night and day for a city for the rest of the existence of the church? What would happen if we knew that there was always someone in our prayer room 24-7, 365 days a year asking God to move on behalf of our city? What do you think would happen if that happened? What do you think would happen <laughs> if we could stay? What impact would it have on us? What impact would it have on our city? And I, and I wonder, what if that was what our church was known for? Alliance Bible Church is that little church over in Hillsborough. They have someone every hour of every day sitting praying for our city. 
Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> One person wants it. <laughs> so what happened this week? A lot of things. More prayer. We walked in obedience. We encountered God. We experienced growth. We have witnessed profound unity. We've seen his power poured out. We have lived as watchmen on the walls. Uh, what a gift to get to play this role. I have so much gratitude for your willingness to humor my idiocy and try the things that I think can work. Um, but here's the deal with all of this. So first of all, we're going to keep the prayer room open. We're going to work out a different, woo, yes. We're going to work out a different system because lots of people have come to me and come to others and said, I don't have a space in my home where I can go and meet with the Lord. It was so peaceful. People are saying, this is the first time in forever that I've actually had peace and quiet to sit and read my Bible. So people are desperate for that space. And so we're going to keep that there. We're going to figure out a better, a, a, potentially slightly different system so that we can sign up and make sure we're not coming in when other people are in. But we want to leave that open so that you can use it any time. Um, and there's a big hunger for us to continue uh, periodically during the year doing more seasons like this, where we say for this season, these things are happening in the world. Let's get into the prayer room for a week and let's commit to asking God to move on behalf of this. And who knows, maybe as God's working on our hearts, he's going to birth in us the desire to be a permanent house of prayer. And maybe we're going to build up to what that looks like to build toward having a constant prayer watch happening over our city. But this is the deal. That's just a room. It's just a room with some furniture in it and some things printed out and some things for you to work on. Uh, it's not the room that's special. You are a walking prayer room, right? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the job is you go in the prayer room to encounter God, and now you're charged to be the prayer room that goes walking around the city. The other people, whether they know or not, are gonna come near to you, and as they draw near to you, he's gonna draw near to them. That in interaction with you, through the words that you speak, through the love that you pour out, through the generosity of your heart, they're gonna taste and see through you that the Lord is good, then we're gonna take our words and our actions and we're gonna to go to them and we're gonna give them the invitation to encounter his presence and his power at work in us. That's what this is about. And so thank you for participating as we did that. So as a, a, a kind of symbolic act of unity, I'm gonna invite Bob up and he's gonna lead us in communion. We're going to take communion together, remember what he did. We're going to stand united around the table that Christ prepared for us. Uh, and then we'll finish united as we worship him in response to all that he's done. I guess as Bob's making his way up here, here's, I, I want to give you a last invitation. You probably saw the crazy little video that Jack and I made at 2 a.m., we want to extend that video, and I know lots of people in here have stories about what they encountered this week. So, Jack has set up his camera in the prayer room, and at the end of the service, what I want you to do is just make your way back there, and Jack is just going to try and capture just 
What happened? What did you encounter? What did you like? How has it impacted you? Just a couple of sentences, a couple of minutes, and Jack's going to take all those testimonies and he's going to piece them together. And then we're going to have a, a video that we can have to remember and reflect on what God's done here and to be able to share it the world out there. So let's just be thinking as we're worshiping and as we're taking communion, what God might want you to share that will impact the world around about us. Thanks, Bob.